Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the history of rock. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He is the rock star. Sorry, I had to do you do that to the camera. So I'm That's doing right. That. I do that. Do you know doing why? Right do you know why I do that? Why? Because it makes people pay attention with the contrast hey, of the hey, hand. Hey, 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 yeah, hey, yeah. hey, It's hey. like, hey, look over here. Stop swiping. Stop swiping. Oh, my God. All right. Well, uh, class is in session. Oh, and by the way, I have to say this, too. So if you're tuning in to this podcast, whether it's through Spotify or Apple or Google, um, unfortunately, we don't have the capabilities to do the video version of this on those platforms yet. Mm. However, you can find the video version over on YouTube. You can find it on my YouTube. It's at the Real Brandalorian. You can also find it over on Shim's YouTube channel as well. Pick and choose. Maybe watch them both. We really don't care. Um, but if that's where, if you, I mean, because fine. fine, go look at Shim. <laughs> Christ. Because if you look over my right shoulder, you will see the Temple of the Dog album cover there. Because uh, it was my mom that mentioned this. Uh, she said that um, she asked me specifically, was there a place that I can see this? because she was listening to the audio version through Spotify, and I told her, um, you know, you can do it through YouTube because she heard me talking about this uh, album that's up above my right shoulder, and she couldn't see it because it was just an audio version. But anyway, that was a very long-winded way to say that. That we was long. Been... That was definitely long. Most people have tuned out by now. Oh, you shut up. All right, so we're talking about Temple of the Dog, and we covered a whole bunch of different things. Temple of the Dog is essentially... It's, I mean, depending on who you ask, because some of the facts that we're going to get to here in this episode is it was intended as a tribute project tribute. to Andrew Wood, yeah. the lead singer of Mother Love Bone, who passed away just a few months before the Mother Love Bone album Apple dropped, by the way, episodes one and two of the History of Rock podcast. You can go check that out. And um, there's some other people who had some different thoughts on that, but we're going to get to that here in just a few minutes, one of the things that we were talking about in the last episode, and Shim brought up the question, is why did Jane's Addiction, it was, um, I always wonder if I'm saying this one properly, because I, I don't know if I've ever actually heard one of them say it, but Ritual de lo Habitual. Uh, it was Jane's Addiction album, it was the one that was le uh, released back August 21st, 1990, and from a lot of the stuff that I have read, that was the first big alternative album. There, it was those uh, bands in the mid-80s, like R.E.M. and Dinosaur Jr. and the Pixies that were big in the 80s as alternative bands, but it was really this album from Jane's Addiction. So Shim was like, why? Yeah, why, why? Yeah, why was this album like the big album? Yeah. And we don't really know at this point. Um, I, I'm, I mean, Which, we record these back-to-back, -back, so I try to do as much yeah. research as I could, but if you know or if you have any thoughts on yeah. it, by all means, Anyone comment. can shed light on this conundrum. And this is one of the reasons that the History of Rock's going to be an interesting podcast. I don't like half of the things that Brandon likes. Brandon likes not like half of the things that I like, and neither of us like anything. So <laughs> We're just so, old, cranky men at this yeah, point. I mean, like, last episode, we found out that I don't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't like Jane's Addiction. I'm not even all that big of a fan of Kiss, but man, but they were I, great But here's life. the thing. I do want to ask, I'd be very interested in the comments section of this, Okay. I think when you go back to the Temple of the Dog and the concept of Temple of the Dog, the reason that the album was so great and so seminal was because it was built as a tribute. It came from the heart. It was not designed to make money. It wasn't designed to capitalize on the fact that you got two of the best singers in rock and roll. They were just like, dude, we just want to... We did, they did it for the right reasons. Everything that I've ever done musically and artistically for the right reasons, some of it got successful, some of it didn't, but it always makes a really significant impact on the people who listen to it. And you can hear the difference. And I wonder if anyone can put in the comments section so we can bring it up next week. 
bands or acts that are that have that much spirit, that have that much heart now, where they can hear it, where and the difference is important. Okay, this it's one thing to write music that's artistically, musically beautiful and has a good sentiment if you're writing it from your own pain and experience, right? Uh, off the top of my head, uh, fucking I Prevail has Trauma, which is basically a rehab record. Great record, one of my favorite records of last year, or the year before, whenever it came out, I listened to it a lot last year. But it's not designed to help another person or pay tribute to another person directly. It is clearly, here's some shit that I went through and some good songs came out of it. Temple of the Dog Wars, we're doing it specifically to pay tribute to a specific individual that meant a lot to us and everyone who loved that individual can share that memory. And the same thing kind of happened for me with the Free Hugs video. I've, got, I've, I've used that as a reference point uh, a lot of times in my career because it was made to pay tribute to someone else, to make someone else feel good, and that created something that was much larger than just, here's how I feel in a piece of music. So I'd be very interested in the comment section, please put down if there is anything that you know of that you're listening to now that has that much potent sentiment, that is that artistically, you know, has that much spirit in it. I'd be very interested to hear. And on that note, too, if anybody has an album that they want us to cover here on the History of Rock, I mean, we started with um, Mother Love Bone because, again, that was kind of the band that was going to be the first big grunge act and it's interesting the more that i listened to that album and the more that i researched it i think one of the reasons that the record labels were so comfortable with it was the almost hair metal sound to the band i mean it was it was a good merge between the two so that would have been a great buffer there going yeah. from the acts like a motley crew into sort of this grunge movement if when you go back and listen to mother love bones apple do you think it was conscious? Do you think they were like, we're going to bridge the gap to a new musical genre? Or no, they were just I think were it's, like, it's close it enough was, to hair metal, we'll swing it. No, I think it was more of, it was based on their um, on, on their likes and dislikes and what they loved to do with music. Because when you go back and you look at like Jeff Ament back then, um, you could tell that he, he wanted the arena tours. And that's where a lot of right. the bands back in Seattle in the late 80s, early 90s, that's why... You have all of these acts that they would be pretty big. Like Green River was really good, and then they broke up, and then it became Mud Honey, and then Mother Love Bone. Unfortunately, Mother Love Bone uh, split up. Well, they didn't split up, but because Andrew Wood passed away, then they essentially became Pearl Jam. Um, yeah. But I think it, does, it was because— am I, the only one that, am I the only one that finds that a bit weird, that it does feel like it's a little bit incestuous? I said this before. Am I, is no one else like— well, I think it was no? inc it was incestuous because— Not in Incestuous sounds bad, but it does feel like— it's just it's just a bit weird is it not weird but don't you think is i mean it, is it, it why because it would be these bands would would split off and then it would be breaking well, because, off with bands that, I mean, from he, everybody okay, that they this knew might, this might be me being just ignorant and ill-experienced but i've only ever been in one band and so shut the fuck up just with the, with the head nod just chill but what? like going from no band i'm to agreeing band with band you to band are there I know that that's some people, it's weird. I know that that is some people's journey and I know that Seattle is a unique experience because it was a, it was a, it was a bubble. Like we said, it was like, you couldn't get out of there and you didn't go through there. So like everyone who was in bands there, they just kind of, if you were in a band and that didn't work out, but it sounds like people were, but what it sounds like on paper sometimes is that people were in three bands at once waiting to see which one went somewhere. And as soon as one band started to move, they were going to drop the other band. So that lack, lack, lack of commitment 
bugs the shit out of me, man. I don't know if it was a lack of commitment. I think it had more to do with making sure that you were in a band with people of similar goals. Because you could tell that there were some people who they wanted to do the arena tours. They wanted to be out there making it big. And then there were other people that were maybe been in some of those bands. That's not necessarily what they wanted. They wanted to be there for the music. They don't mind playing the smaller clubs. And they wanted to keep kind of doing their own thing the way that they had been doing it. And they didn't necessarily want to sign which, to a major label. Which one do you think Mother Lovebone was? The arena band? Oh, hands down. Absolutely. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. Like that, like that was, they, they were definitely, they were showmen. And that was because like, the way that Andrew Wood was up on stage. Remember, he went by Landry the Love Child. And uh, Land, it was Landry the uh, uh, Love Master of Ceremony. I mean, there's all different Landry versions of that. Um, yeah. And there was even a point where when he was in Malfunction, which was before Mother Love Bone, he would paint his face white. Like straight up, because Kiss was a major, major. Oh, that's right. Yeah, inspiration yeah, yeah, yeah. for him. I was gonna say why, but then Kiss, yeah. So, but and you could definitely tell that there were certain members that they they just they had different goals, and I think that that's yeah. what they were, that's what they were going for. But let's go ahead and dive back into Temple of the Dog here, and again, just a, a real quick rehash. The album was released April sixteenth, nineteen ninety one. The songs that you've probably heard, there's no way you haven't, most likely. On the radio, Hunger Strike, Say Hello to Heaven, my personal favorite on the album, Pushing Forward Back. We'll get to that towards the end here when we start talking about our playlist that we're creating. But uh, the next fact here is that Temple of the Dog, it actually comes from lyrics of Mother Love Bone. The song called Man of Golden Words, which was written by Andrew Wood. And the lyrics go, I want to show you something like joy inside my heart. Seems I've been living in the Temple of the Dog. And so that is what they took. And then they made that the... Uh, the band it is a good name. It's a good name for a band, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it? we talked it's about that in 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 might. We yeah. talked about that uh, one of the first two episodes where we were talking about band names, and you were talking about how like Foo Fighters is a terrible band name. Yeah, you said even Sick Puppies. But, you figured. When did you hold on? Let's. I want to go back to that moment because I'm pretty right. sure some people were wondering this too. When did you think you guys were going to change that name? Because you said. You at thought Sick Puppies was a silly name, and yeah, you thought you always thought you would change it. When did you think you would actually no, change it's not, it? No, it's not that I always thought that we, that we would change it. Uh, I just remember thinking at the beginning we will probably change it. That's what I thought because we had a bunch of names, and I remember that uh, what the way that the band name came about. So for anyone that doesn't know, this is how the band name came to be. There's like three versions that were on the internet back when people gave a shit. Um, <laughs> The original way that it came up was I had a, I had a, uh, a big piece of folded paper in my back pocket at all times. And if I ever came up with an idea for a band name, I would write the band name on it. Because I was like, it, it was that period of the band's career we were trying to find a name. And I had all these horrible names. And I had moved out from my, I, I moved out from home when I was 14. So when I was about 15, I was on a train to travel up to visit my dad up north. And I came up with the idea for the band name. And I just, I don't know how I came up with it. I was, I was sick puppies because that's... That's just, that's a thing that people say about like someone who's a little bit twisted. And I'm like, at the time, our music was kind of punk, kind of weird, quirky, cool, sick puppies. Get to my dad's place an hour later, and he first thing he says to me was, "Hey, I just started reading this book. It's called Sick Puppy. Maybe that'd be a cool band name." He's still thinking of band names, and I was like, "Fuck, that's weird." And I told him, and he was like, "Ah, oh, it's a sign." So I went to the band, and I said. I, this thing happened with my dad. I think it's a sign, and it's and also it's the most memorable thing that I've come up with so far. Like we had other ones that were trying to be 
blends of like sound garden of pearl jam we had like take two words and mush them together and make a band name and they were just the worst like sonic garden sonic garden and then i had like uh uh sweet mercury Sweet Mercury, Sweet Mercury was the one that we went into a band competition with. It was the name of one of the songs on the band's first EP, Dog's Breakfast, right? And we had a song called Sweet Mercury. I don't know why I'd written it or what I, I don't know what it was, but is it reference to is it in reference to Freddie? It's just no, it just oh. sounds cool. It's just it was it sounded cool enough to at the time we didn't have anything better. So then Sick Puppies came up, and I was just like, people will remember that. If you meet someone, hey, what do you do? I'm in a band. Oh, what's your band called? Sick Puppies. They'll walk away, and later in the day, they'll go, oh, you remember that guy? What band was he in? Oh, uh, Sick Puppies. Because they've heard the, the cons, they've heard the, the words before. You know, like Nirvana. Like, that's a, you know what that means. Like, you'll probably, hopefully, remember that. So, that was, and I remember thinking, this is like a kiddie name. This is like punk rock. And we're kind of a punk rock band, but we wanted to do things like, well, I wanted to do things like string sections later on. Smashing Pumpkins and Zeppelin and, and let's, we, we didn't want to just be a three-piece rock band. You wanted your own it. cashmere is what you wanted. Yeah. I wanted to have the option to not be like that. I just want, I, like Green Day, for example, I remember them talking about it one time where they were like, we were always considered a stoner punk band until American Idiot. And after American Idiot, we were finally, we were able to cast those shackles, but it took like, it took American Idiot to do it. Like one of the greatest yeah. records ever made. That's like, it's a big thing. So your band name is important. But by the time we got to the point where we, I remember when uh, the band had signed, we'd already signed to, uh, to Capital. We'd signed to Virgin Records first. We were on Virgin, which was then EMI, which was then bought by Capital, which was then bought by Universal. We had more record labels than records over the course of our career because the industry was tanking. <laughs> the industry was tanking so hard that everyone was just eating each other and we had signed a deal right beforehand, so we just went along for the ride. And the, uh, they did um, focus groups at the beginning where they were like hey we've got a new band new record we're getting ready to start it up they hadn't released anything yet uh and they were like the the number one thing was especially 100 percent of women who'd listened to the music they were like we like the music we like those ballads his voice sounds nice oh there's a girl in the band then you tell them the band name and they're like oh i hate it i don't like the band anymore so they were really on us the label seriously suggested will you change the name because we haven't released anything yet. How what far down that? The name? How far down that path did you guys go? What do you mean? How far? Like as, did, the, ba how as long... the band, did you? Did, was did it reach discussions? Did it reach to a point no. where you had some other no. possibilities, or were you guys like, no. no, we're good? No, no. They came and they asked, "Would you consider it?" And we were like, "It's too late. The free hugs video had already happened." Oh, the free hugs I had video. Some, had I had some options for you. I want to get your feedback oh, on some of these. Let's do it. Let's All do right. it. Uh, okay, so first one is it was my band name in rock band, Moist Funk. Oof. You, you've, you're the one that said moist is the worst word to say on the radio, right? Moist. Uh, I said I've been told moist. that by people. Yes, moist. Moist, moist. funk, no? It's not not going to, nah, maybe pass, maybe. All right. Still, uh, Sick Puppies, not much better. Okay. King Dick and the Shades of Glory. Yeah, sick Puppies is definitely better than that. Let's keep going. Um, Rusty Cooter. Rusty Cooter. Yeah. That might be better than Sick Puppies. Okay. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Rusty Cooter, yeah. huh? What about... Rusty Cooter, uh, because here's the point. You're going to remember it, huh? but it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe better. Maybe. All right. All right, you ready for my home run here? You ready for this okay, one? Okay, here's the home run. Cloudy Discharge. 
Nah, that's that, that's that's no. You know what? Because you know what? the image, because Rusty Cooter, I immediately thought, okay, a rusty thing outside a farm, like maybe it's a tractor. If you didn't, you got to think, oh, a Cooter. Okay, cool. But what is it? Cloudy discharge. There's no. Cloudy that, discharge. That's you, you. Everyone knows exactly what that is, and there's so no you know, other image. Do you know where all of those names came from? You were telling me the story about how you kept that that piece of paper in your back pocket. And yeah. I wish I had it this time. It's when my buddies and I were driving in South Florida, torrential downpours, and we were just randomly coming up with different band names, I think jo- jokingly. And we were just yeah. doing it jokingly. And there was a, there's at least another five to ten that I forget. Those are the only one. Those are the ones I remember. So Rusty Cruder and the Bubba Gump Boys. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, we gotta get gotta get back to uh, the Temple of the Dog here. You want to take Jesus. this? Uh, Take the next fact right here. Go to number yeah, which three. One, which one are we up to? Hold on a second. All right. Eddie Vedder was in town to audition with Amit, Gossard, and McCready for their new band. I think you mean for their new band. And the band was called Mookie Blaylock. Now, that's a band name. Mookie Blaylock. But do you know which, who Mookie you, Blaylock which, is? No. I don't he was know. A, he, was a, he was an NBA player. Nah, it's the greatest band name, Mookie, Mookie Blaylock. If you could make... See, Pearl Jam's a great fucking band name. Yeah. If you could make Mookie Blaylock as big as the name Pearl Jam, that's as, it's almost as much of a feat as Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins to become Smashing Pumpkins. Mookie Blaylock. Mo- even say Mookie Blaylock. He can't pronounce it. Mookie. It's no, hard you can't, to say. No, you can't pronounce it. Mookie Blaylock. He was, Better, an, he was a player in the NBA. <laughs> No one cares anymore. Vedder was at one of the recording sessions when the band was recording Hunger Strike. Vedder jumped on the mic and filled the empty spots Cornell was struggling with. Cornell was struggling with? Oh, yeah. Cornell said he sang half of that song not even knowing that I'd wanted the part to be there. And he sang it exactly the way I was thinking about it, doing it instinctively. That's dope. And yeah. that's a great chemistry in music. And to, to have that much great chemistry with two of the most amazing rock and roll singers of that period and in history... Imagine being in the room when that shit happened. That so we're going to get, obviously, more into the Mookie Blaylock stuff next episode, as a matter of fact, because the next episode of the History of Rock, we're going to dive into Pearl Jam's 10. That's right. And, and that's going to be a big one. So they did start out as Mookie Blaylock. He was a player in the NBA. And I guess as they were filming, uh, or they were as they were recording the Temple of the Dog album, um, Cornell just could not hit these certain notes. He knew what he wanted to do. He just, for some strange reason, it wasn't vibing with him, and he couldn't do it. And I guess better, like Cornell said in that quote you just read, he jumped right on the mic and just fired away, and the rest was history. And that's how we yeah. essentially got, I believe, yeah, on Hunger Strike is yeah. what they were doing. Yeah, that makes sense. Where <clears throat> the hell are you sorry, going? Sorry. No, I'm just going over here. I just had to close the door because the kids are about to come in. Um, well, you actually know what you I apologize right for now. anyone who sees me checking my phone. I'm basically saying, like, yeah, I'm in the middle of doing this thing. I'll come out when we're finished. Okay, so, um, here's what you need to do. What do I need to do? You haven't done a song yet. Oh, you're right. Well, which yeah, one we, we, we totally didn't do one in episode two. I need you to come riff something about Mookie Blaylock. <laughs> come on. Riff. We're going to riff something. Hold on a second. I've got two picks in here. Mookie Blaylock, they probably would rock if they'd ever been a band. They never did get far because they changed their name to motherfucking Pearl Jam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. That's absolutely yeah. brilliant. That's what we're hoping for. 
right, because you're gonna have to do it because we need to do at least two two songs from you in every episode. So okay, and we well, missed out one. in episode two. So there was one. So the next fact that we're gonna uh, get into here is that Cornell admitted later on that Temple of the Dog was actually the reason he joined Audio Slave. He said the experience what? made him keep an open mind about collaborations with musicians from other bands, and it's interesting because even Stone Gossard who was in Mother Love Bone, Temple of the Dog, then eventually Pearl Jam, he has said that recording the Temple of the Dog album was such a good experience. He's almost felt like he, he's he been trying to recapture that magic ever since then. Yeah. That, that feeling is very uh, common when you get to have... It's really tough. It's like a drug. It really is like a drug. When you create something and you get to experience that moment of true creation especially if it's collaborative and then you're just like oh my god and then you especially if you have something to show for it if you have a record where you can go i remember when we did that you remember when we did that and then you go and you try to do it again and you can't it's like the first hit of heroin and you're always trying to get back to the first hit and yeah but it but isn't it amazing that if you say okay cool temple the dog you call it what it was you say whatever you want but so much music may not have come to be if it wasn't for that experience for all the people that were in that situation. Yeah. That's amazing to me. Like, not having Audio Slave would be like... Could you imagine not having the first Audio Slave record? God, Fuck. and it just... It, I mean, it's, it reminds me, too. Like, there's somebody who had asked... If there was one rock star that you could bring, bring back, who would it be? And you go through this whole laundry list of rock stars, and Kurt Cobain's name comes up. And the argument was, well, if we had Kurt Cobain still around, would we have the Foo Fighters? Ha! <laughs> You're absolutely right. And so, and what we do you wouldn't? Yeah, and so, we wouldn't have the no, we wouldn't have the Foo Fighters the same way. We might still have the Foo Fighters, but it you wouldn't don't think be Dave Grohl would have still been able to do it the same way? You don't think so? No, it's just that he wouldn't have. You got to keep in mind when Foo Fighters was formed, he's gone on record countless times as saying that it was him getting himself, getting his ass up, getting himself out of a funk because he had these songs and he, uh, Kurt had passed and he basically sat on the couch for nine months bumming around being bummed and not doing anything until finally he just switched over one time one day and he was like i'm gonna get in the studio for a week and i'm just gonna make something and that week wouldn't have happened that way if it hadn't been for that tragedy he might he would have still recorded the songs and they would have been what what they became but they wouldn't have been the same thing and truth be told if he had nirvana to go back to and the band had survived longer foo fighters would have been a side project instead of a project i was just thinking of something that we could put out there on social media some sort of a uh, some sort of a poll where we only give four options and if you could bring one back who would it be it's perfect and it would be freddie mercury chris cornell chester bennington and then who would be your fourth or wouldn't it be kurt do you want to put kurt cobain in there would, well, you'd, i mean if you don't put in kurt you're a bit of a dick <laughs> i mean seriously i mean kurt's kurt like Cuts, cut. Do you remember yeah, where you up. were when you found out when he died? I didn't find out until later, dude. I remember. Here's the thing. People. Oh, my God. Were about... you that guy that, like, three years later, like, Nirvana's great. I can't wait to see him live. Oh, that's no, right. I you were the one that didn't know that. who the Foo Fighters were. <laughs> yeah, that, that I probably would have been that guy. No, I just, um, I didn't get into, I didn't get into Nirvana until after he passed away. I came in a year after he passed away, which was why. I didn't realize, like, or I think that I really started to get deep into into music in 95. 
like basically a year after Silverchair had made their first record. So because Silverchair was the band that got me into it. But no, I didn't. I started listening to Nirvana and Nirvana was just another band in the list of Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Live, Red Hot Chili Peppers. They weren't the band that started it for me. It wasn't until I started going back and realized, oh, they were the ones that got the biggest, the quickest and the whole thing. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't. I, do you remember where you were? Oh, when I do. Kurt Cobain died? Absolutely. Where were you? I was at the uh, on the campus of Oregon State University, and we were down in a pool hall planning for our presentation the next day. I was doing a thing called Odyssey of the Mind, and it was for the Brainiac kids, and it was... That panned out well. And it was for... Um, it, we Essentially, we had all these different tasks that needed to be done, and we needed to build cars that could essentially go through an obstacle course and pop a balloon at the end and it was it was it's nerdy stuff but anyway so i remember we're in this in this in this pool hall and i remember the tea now the, here's the weird thing i could be completely misremembering this as well and i remember mm. but here's what i remember is i remember being in the pool hall while we're going over the stuff and they had tvs kind of smattered throughout and then right. we heard the mtv news like i remember i was talking about kurt loader in the last episode yeah and it would start with the um, yeah, yeah. Where it was like the, the typewriter coming in. It was MTV News yeah. and it was Kurt Loder announcing that Kurt Cobain had passed away. And I remember everybody. And there were kids yeah. in this group with me that weren't even necessarily big Nirvana fans. But he was such an icon at that time where everybody's kind of looked up. And the whole room got completely silent while Kurt Loder read this news about Kurt Cobain passing away. Because they had the picture of Cobain with his birth year and then, you know, He's the dead. death yeah. year right there. Dead, so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I, again, I could be completely misremembering it. I don't know. Nah, you usually remember stuff like that. I remember, this is sidebar for 10 seconds, when 9-11 happened, I remember being on the couch at 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning at a friend's place. Everyone else was asleep, and I was watching We Were Warriors, which is the Muhammad Ali documentary. And it was the beginning of the third act of the film where you're about to see him win the fight. And then they cut in, and they said, Trade Center has been hit. And I just remember thinking, when are they going to go back to the movie? I was just going to ask that. I was just going to ask, yeah. What, yeah. like, were you like, oh, my God, I want to find out what happens? Yeah, yeah, it was really – I remember thinking, okay, I've got the information. I, I was young, so I didn't understand this, the importance of it. I didn't understand the severity. I, but I just remember thinking, okay, it's happened. And then they just kept showing the same clip and then footage of the building. And I, after like half an hour, I was like, did I get to go back to the movie? And, <laughs> and they didn't, and I just, and then I woke up. And I never finished the movie. 20 years later, never finished it. So finish the damn movie. Nah, it's gonna what be one of my that? things. Oh my God. It's gonna be one of yeah, my things. Never, on the never finished it. Now, he lived, a great, he lived a great life of service to other people, but he never finished not, the movie. Do you not, oh my God. Do you not <laughs> see like on social media where you see those articles pop up? It's like you're probably misremembering 9-11. Like our, our brains don't remember things as well yeah. as we think they do. So that's Maybe, why I'm saying but... that's what I remember about Kurt Cobain passing away. But I could be completely off. But then again, we'll get to Nevermind and, and In yeah. Utero and all those other albums here coming up. Do you want to take this next one? Because it's, yeah, it's kind of lengthy. Yeah, it was going to be. Um, uh, wait, the, the project caused some animosity? Is this the yeah. one we're talking about? Yeah, because so Jim that the knows project, all about animosity. The Temple of the He's Dog a big fan project. of the Seven Dust album. I am, actually. That, we'll, we'll, that's, we'll, we'll dude, get that to Seven one. Dust. Seven oh. Dust, that's going to be a great deep dive, dude. Oh. The project caused animosity. I love animosity. that album, by the way. Yeah. 
It caused animosity with people who knew Cornell and Wood, Kim Tahil. Tahil, guitarist Tahil. The guitarist Tahil. Cool. The initial purpose of Temple of the Dog was to be a tribute to Andy Wood was not the concluding purpose. I think that to be a tribute to Andy Wood, there were a lot of people who were close to Andy, like his brothers, who probably should have been involved. It became something else. It became a Chris Cornell solo record with some of his friends. Ouch. Yeah. So you could tell yeah. that he was maybe a little bit upset by it. Um, but then again, he's also... On record, and I'm going to actually skip one here. I'm going to go to the next one. You can come back to number six. But yeah. uh, So Kim Thile, he wasn't completely upset by Temple of the Dog because he's also been quoted as saying, uh, Chris doing Temple of the Dog ultimately helped Soundgarden in that it got him to exercise some of his creativity muscles and then bring that to Soundgarden. So he was, he, you could tell that calling it a tribute, and there's people who wanted to be involved with this album, and you can actually go directly into this uh, this final fact that we have here um, about people who were not too pleased with Temple of the Dog. But it does go to show Chris Cornell actually went on record as saying that it helped him develop better muscles for... I think that's what he probably meant. What Kim probably meant is he became more open to collaboration. Because once you're, what you go and you start to collaborate with these people and you find a great chemistry and you realize, because I think Chris wrote a lot of the stuff at the beginning. And the truth is that uh, I think that some of Soundgarden's best stuff was the stuff where you can tell it was collaborative. Like you can tell on Chris Cornell's solo record, you can, after enough time, you can really notice that there were songs like Chris Cornell's solo records, a good example. You go, okay, so he writes that type of part. He writes that type of guitar thing to support the melody. So if you go back and listen to certain Soundgarden songs, you go, that doesn't sound, that sounds like Kim's guitar playing. So Kim must have written that riff and then they brought it in and then they started to collaborate. So uh, down on the upside, which was the last or second last uh, Soundgarden record, which is one of my favorites, that's a very that sounds like a pretty collaborative record, and that probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for that. That you know everything. A, a, a friend of mine said a long time ago, everything comes from something. I know it sounds really vague and you know very general, but it's true. Sounds like and something a fourteen-year-old girl would write on her binder for school. Yeah, but it's true. But it's fucking true because everything comes from something, and all of those things probably wouldn't have happened and come if the you know the the pre the precursor to it. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, actually, a quick side note, too, about Chris Cornell, like especially his solo albums. If anybody listening, if you're a big rock fan and there's somebody in your life that maybe isn't the biggest rock fan and you're looking for an album to sort of bridge that gap, go with Chris Cornell's Scream. That was produced by Timbaland of Timbaland and Magoo. And, you know, Timbaland produced a lot of Missy Elliott stuff, just a world famous producer. And it's got a good mix of Chris Cornell. And Timbaland kind of brings in that hip-hop pop vibe. And it's one of the albums that kind of helped uh, get my wife to start appreciating Chris Cornell more. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's funny. Yeah, yeah. So because yeah. I remember when he passed away, you know, I was on a Chris Cornell. Man, like that's all I listened to oh, yeah. for the longest time. And yeah. again, that, again, that's one. Him, him passing away, that's one that hit me hard, man. Because he was way up there on the top for me. And 
as I was listening to those albums, we were in the car as a family, and then my wife was asking me if there was something else that we could listen to. And so I popped in the Scream album, and she eventually took a lot of those songs, and then she created her own rock playlist. Yeah. Her rock playlist consists of Imagine Dragons, so it's not really a rock playlist. No, don't get me wrong. I enjoy Imagine Dragons. I like Imagine Dragons, but I'm not putting them on a rock playlist. I'm just, that's not what you do. Uh, right. But, yeah, she took the Chris Cornell scream stuff, and it's great stuff. But, anyway, there's one more final fact in here so we can wrap up this episode. Do you yeah. want to take this one? Because this one goes even more into uh, kind of some of the people who this were is, a little well, hurt. They weren't asked yeah, to be in Temple well, of the Dog. Look, this, is, this is the collateral damage that happens. I'm sure none of these quotes would be memorable or important if Temple of the Dog hadn't become important in itself. And it says that Andy's brother, Kevin Wood, was upset saying I totally expected to be included in that project although they never called me I was pretty pissed off at the time I didn't get to play on that or even considered to be asked now I can understand both perspectives one part of it is hey I was his brother well there's no one stopping you from doing your own tribute and the other part is they're doing their own thing uh, what are they like I don't know I don't know how I feel about that because what it comes it sounds like it's just animosity it's like if you know if yeah i mean like if i if i was in the here's the thing i can't comment on anyone else but i know if i was in the position if someone else was doing a tribute to a friend of mine i'd be like dude that's really cool i'm also doing a tribute if you if it turns out that we work together on something that'd be cool but i'm not gonna have any feelings towards being left out of your thing because you're doing like like where would the jealousy come from and where would the concept of like how does it take anything away from me we're both doing it out of love for this person's memory. So I don't know where that comes from, but it's, I think it may not have come up unless it, if it hadn't been successful. Like imagine they did, think about this. Would he feel the same way if they did Temple of the Dog and it was a stillborn piece of shit record that no one liked? He'd be like, like it, I wish I was included. No, you probably wish you weren't included. Like it was stuck at that, the, the 70,000 copies that it sold, which is funny because I worked with a guy who that was his claim to being a true rock and roll fan as he had the Temple of the Dog album. And it was like, okay, so were you one of the original 70,000 people that purchased that thing? Or did yeah. you buy it after Pearl Jam and Soundgarden became yeah. nationwide success? So we need one yeah. more song from you, Shim. And oh, what yeah? I'm thinking is, can we do something with... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of, of something that we can kind of riff on here. Uh, do You know what? Go down the animosity path. What are you talking? About? You want to go down some animo- or do you want to, or do you want to do something a little more upbeat? Well, how, I'm trying to remember what that riff is from. Do you remember that, that animosity? I can't. Remember. I used to know all those songs. Oh, oh, you're wrong? thinking of. Uh, was it crazy? That's such a great thing. Yeah. No, I'm trying to think of what. <laughs> See, I don't want to say anything about animosity, but... No, look, we don't need... It doesn't even have to be about Temple of the Dog. Talk about how great the Seven Dust album is. No, I But I can just imagine if you had the... You patterned your singing voice after Lejeune, did you not? Like, there's a little bit of Lejeune in your singing voice? I tried. I got up on stage with him one time to sing... And it just was a disaster <laughs> to sing along. I was like, I tried... So, okay, uh, so what that's what you're singing spare? about right now. <laughs> I wish I was good, but I'm just not as good as the man, the man who wrote the original song. I wish I was good, but I got up on stage and fell flat on my face and everyone said, get back off the stage. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. 
That's exactly what I was hoping for. They're not all going to be winners, guys. They're not all going to be winners, okay? Um, Literally, he's just throwing at me like, hey, you just mentioned Seven Dust. Write something random about that one time. Yeah. But Seven Dust, that was one of my favorite moments. Like, LJ... Brandon Boyd and the singer from Silverchair were the three go-to singers. And when I met LJ and he told me that he liked my music, I was like, it was the coolest thing ever. Hanging out backstage with those guys and just hanging. The first and last time I ever tried that that tobacco that you put. Oh, you dipped? Tobacco. You dipped? Yeah, I dipped. First and last, never again. I only did it because... Um, I think uh, all the cool all the cool kids were doing Morgan and the bass player of the band whose name eludes me. I'm sorry, I forgot, but um, they were doing it, and I was like, "Yeah, of course, man. I'll I'll dip with seven. Were you able to? Were you able to really get it in there? Because yeah, I did it exactly how you're supposed to. The first time, ill. Yeah, the, the first time I ever dipped was in. We were out of town in a hotel for a baseball tournament for the freshman baseball team, and the guys that I was rooming with. They had dip, so they were like, "You want to try some?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure," because I, I don't think they were expecting me to say yeah. They were like, "Oh, Brandon, he's kind of a goody-goody. He's not going to do this." I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll try it." So I go, I grab the pinch, and I go to throw it in there. And as I'm doing it, the whole thing broke up. And if you've ever had chewing tobacco not packed loose in your mouth, it is oh. one of the worst things. And it was the first. It's just, it's burning. It's oh. It was so, so it was awful. It was awful. But that's a perfect way to wrap up this episode of the history yeah. of rock. So, as we said, please, in the comments section, let us know uh, if you have any artists that you're listening to that come with the same sentiment that Temple of the Dog was, which is to pay tribute to someone that meant a lot to them, that has that spirit, not just the thing of, hey, I went through a tough time, but I'm doing this to pay tribute to someone that meant a lot to me, and it's an extension of themselves, not just to say, hey, here's a reflection of themselves. So if you have an artist that's got that means that much to you, that you think is doing that, I'd love for you to put it in the comments and then we'll check it out. And then if you have any comments on anything else that we've been talking about, please let us know. Uh, Brandon, what else do we got before we wrap it up? Really quick on that note, one album that I would recommend for anybody if they're looking for a really good tribute album, straight up. It was um, all about oh. the leaf. It, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know. All the people that, we, should look, do, we should do a deep dive on that. We'll end up doing a deep dive on Straight Up. It was released back yeah. in 2000 uh, when Lynn Straight passed away. I did get his name right, didn't I? Did I butcher that? No. It was Lynn. It was Lynn, right? Okay. Pretty and it sure was, it was yeah. I mean, yeah. if you look at um, just all of the people that are on this, I'm just, I got it right here. You got Serge Tankian, Jonathan yeah. Davis, Max Cavalera from Soulfly, Brandon yeah. Boyd. Ozzy Osbourne, you had your Seven boys Dust. from Seven Dust who did Angel Sun. It just it, Corey Taylor is on that. It's just Slipknot, it's amazing. Yeah. Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray, which by the way, did you know that Sugar Ray like they started out they were kind of metal. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a lot no, of people I know, know I that. I think they, most they, people know like Sugar Ray. No, Sugar Ray was life. a new metal band. They were a new metal band before um, what their one massive hit, which was. It's the the gaggy throwaway. But anyway, we'll do that deep dive at another time as well. We want to keep it tied for everyone. That's what she said. So that being said, as we're super, thank you very much. Hit the like and subscribe. Comment all your questions and comments in there. And we will see you next week. Until next week, his name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He is the rock star. Class dismissed.